So in these verses, we see that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they are directly addressed over here. And they're basically given the option that you choose between Allah, His Messenger, the home of the hereafter, or the dunya and its luxuries. You have the choice, you make the decision for yourself, but then whatever choice you make, then stay committed to it. If it is Allah, His Messenger, the home of the hereafter that you choose for yourself, then that is ihsan on your part. And for your sacrifice, for your commitment, for your ihsan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will also reward you abundantly. And then we see that in these verses, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are made to realize their great status in the society, in the ummah, amongst the believers. That their status is of who? Of the mothers of the believers. And so, because of that great status, they also have to hold themselves to a higher moral standard also. Uh, why? Because they are like role models. They are like exemplary women. How often does it happen that whenever women are mentioned, right, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, their examples are mentioned. Why? Because these are women that we can relate to. These are women that we can learn many lessons from. So for example, when it comes to Aisha radiallahu anha, we learn about her knowledge. When it comes to Khadija radiallahu anha, we learn about her love and her commitment to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? So many wives of the Prophet ﷺ, so many lessons to learn from their lives. So in these ayat, it is made clear that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are no ordinary women. But in this is a lesson for all Muslim women. That these are the best women. These are your role models. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them these commands. Why? In ayah number 33, right at the end, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِّرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you these commandments and also some prohibitions at the same time. Not to oppress you, not to limit you, not to stump your progress so that you're not able to contribute, you're not able to progress. No, it is in order to keep you pure and clean from the filth that people produce and people hurl, at especially those who are in the limelight. So all of these are for your protection, for your purification. You know, for example, over here in ayah number 33 only, when the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are told, وَلَا تَبَرَّجْنَ تَبَرُّجَ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ الْأُولَى Do not go on displaying your beauty outside like women did in the time of ignorance, meaning prior to Islam. So basically there should be a difference between your dressing, right? Now, than compared to what it was before Islam. Right? And what is the dressing of a Muslim woman? It is modest. And in particular what is mentioned over here is that do not flaunt your beauty. Do not, do not display it. Meaning, cover it when you go outside. And the details of this, they are mentioned in Surah An-Nur and more detail will come inshallah later on in Surah Al-Ahzab. Now if you think about it, why is this command given to a woman? That she must cover her beauty. Is it for the purpose of oppression? No, it is for the purpose of purification, for the purpose of her safety, her security. And it's in two ways. For her to think properly about herself and for also others to think correctly about her. A woman's thoughts about herself also. If you think about it, many times women feel proud when they look modest or otherwise. Hmm? 
seriously, when is it that women have more confidence when they feel like they're looking more attractive and so on and so forth? I don't need to use any explicit words over here. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Right? The more revealing she is, the more skin she's exposing or the more beauty she's exposing, the more confident she is perceived as. Right? But if you think about it, are those clean thoughts? Is that really a clean assumption of oneself or thought about oneself? That I'm looking so attractive. Really, is this something nice? That people are looking at you and thinking about your body, thinking about your looks, thinking about your eyelashes or your legs or your figure or your stomach or your chest or whatever it is. Is this something pure? Is this something that befits a righteous woman? So, لِيُطَهِرَكُمْ The purpose is what? لِيُطَهِرَكُمْ To purify you. لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرِّجْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا Then in the next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَذْكُرْنَا And you all remember. وَذْكُرْنَا See the noon at the end is of plural feminine. Alright? Just as in the previous ayat we learned, وَقَرْنَا لَا تَبَرَّجْنَا Alright? So, وَذْكُرْنَا You remember, you recall, the word udkur is from dhikr. And what does dhikr mean? To remember. And over here, it can be understood in multiple ways. Firstly, wadkurna, meaning remember as in memorize, learn. Remember, mention as in memorize, learn, study. Then secondly, once you learn, once you remember, then you remember again later on, why? In order to review. So that you don't forget what you have learned previously. And then thirdly, you review, you remember, why? You mention in order to teach others. So over here, wadkurna gives us three meanings. First of all, remember, study, memorize. Secondly, review. And thirdly, remind others, meaning? Teach. So wadkurna, you must study, you must review, you must teach. What? Ma that which? Yutla, it is recited, fi buyuti kunna, in your homes. Buyut is a plural of bait, because each wife of the Prophet ﷺ had a separate home to herself. So in your homes, whatever is recited, recited of what? Min ayatillahi, of the verses of Allah. Meaning the Quran that is recited in your homes, you should also recite it. You should also learn it. You should also review it. You should also teach it. Who is it that would primarily recite the Quran in their homes? It was Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? So, for example, we learn about the fact that the Prophet sallallahu would perform prayer in the night, tahajjud, right? He wouldn't pray tahajjud in the masjid. Where would he pray? In his house. Alright? And specifically, you know, there are narrations in uh, Bukhari in which we learned that Aisha radullah anha, she narrated that oftentimes she would be sleeping, alright, and the Prophet ﷺ would be performing prayer. But the house was small, and the layout was that the bed where it was placed, that was the direction of the qibla also. So basically when the Prophet ﷺ would be praying, the feet of Aisha radullah anha would be in front of him. So when he would have to go for sujood, he would touch her, alright, in order to indicate that you can move your feet. So she would move her feet, and then he would do sujood. You understand? Then when he would get up, she would stretch her legs again. 
Now the Prophet ﷺ, he is praying tahajjud. And in tahajjud, what is he reciting? The Qur'an. Right? Then we also learn about Maymuna radhullahu anha. That how her nephew, right, Ibn Abbas radhullahu anhu, when he was little, he would often, once he came to spend the night over there to see how the Prophet ﷺ worshipped in the night. Imagine a young boy and still he wanted to learn how Rasulullah ﷺ worshipped in the night. So the Prophet ﷺ got up in the middle of the night in order to pray. And what happened? This little boy, he also gets up, he does wudu, and he stands on the left side of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ very, very gently moved him from his left side to his right side. Now again, what was the Prophet ﷺ doing in his house in the night? He is performing salah, and in salah, what is he reciting? The Qur'an. I'm sure all of you have heard of that very famous narration about how Aisha anha said that the Prophet ﷺ would place his head in my lap and he would be reciting the Qur'an. And this would be while she was menstruating. Right? To prove that the body of a menstruating woman is not impure. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ is spending time with his wife and what is he doing over there? Reciting the Qur'an. So the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are told over here, that you should also recite the Qur'an. The Rasulullah wasallam recites it in your house. You should also recite it. You should also learn it. You should also review it. And you should also pass it on. And we see amazing that how Aisha radiallahu anha, she asked the Prophet wasallam so many questions about the Qur'an. You know, for example, the ayah about Hisaban Yasira. Right? An easy account. And the Prophet ﷺ explained to her what that meant. Hmm? So, so many narrations which tell us that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they really took the Qur'an seriously. It wasn't just the duty of the Prophet ﷺ to recite the Qur'an. And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses them directly, instructing them that they must also engage in the recitation, in the study of the Book of Allah. This is not just something for men to do. You understand? Because many times, you see, in the previous ayah, what is mentioned? The wives of the Prophet ﷺ are told, وَقَرْنَ فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ So there are many people who will say, you know what, Muslim woman, she's supposed to be in the house. Right? And this Qur'an study that you're doing, you don't need to do it. This is the job of men. Well, over here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the best women who are supposed to be role models for all Muslim women, what is He telling them? That their purpose in life should not just be homemaking. It should not just be child rearing. It should not just be, you know, making their hair and looking nice for their husbands or, you know, whatever it may be. That is also part of life. I'm not saying that's not part of life and that's not important. It is important. But you know what? You'll do it even if you don't want to do it. Isn't it? Like for example, when your kids come in your life, then what happens? You gotta look after them. Isn't it? You don't have an option over there. When you have a house and it gets dirty, you have to clean. When you have a husband and he's hungry, you gotta cook. Even if you don't know how to cook, you'll figure it out. You'll do it. But when it comes to the Qur'an, when it comes to the dhikr of Allah, how often is it that we find ourselves saying, I don't know when to do this. I'm just so busy. I don't know how to make time for it. So in these ayat it is made clear that women must, must make time for what? For the recitation of the Qur'an, for the study of the Qur'an, for reviewing the Qur'an, because the best women were instructed to do that. وَذْكُرْنَ مَا يُتْلَى فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ مِنْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ 
But it's not just the ayat of Allah that you should be studying, reviewing. Also in addition to that, hikmah and wisdom. What is wisdom referring to over here? The words of wisdom, the teachings of the deen, basically taught by who? The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So hikmah refers to, because hikmah is basically putting things where they belong. That's one of the definitions of hikmah. Right? So, how to practically implement a command of Allah, that also requires what? Hikmah. Because you're putting knowledge into action, where it belongs, in the right way. That is hikmah. Now how is it that you have to implement the commands of Allah which are in the Qur'an? Where do you learn that from? From the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So the word hikmah is used for sunnah also. Alright? And just a side point over here. You know, many times it happens that we learn about this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. Okay? And then we want the world to be black and white also. We want everything in life to be black and white also. But when we go out and we see, well, life is not exactly black and white. Isn't it? So then what do you need over there? Hikmah. To be able to approach the situation correctly. Right? So that we're actually doing da'wah, we're not actually turning people away from Islam. And you learn that wisdom from who? From the Prophet wasallam. By studying the sunnah, by studying hadith, by studying the seerah of the Prophet wasallam, you really learn wisdom. Let me give you an example. Remember the man who came to the Prophet wasallam, a young man, and he said, allow me to do zina. You know about that story? Okay? He came to the Prophet wasallam and he said, allow me to have intercourse out of marriage. Alright? He asked for that permission. What's the right answer? What's the right answer? No. Haram. Isn't it? The Prophet ﷺ could have said that. What did he do? He said, would you like it if somebody wanted to do that with so and so? With so and so? With so and so? He logically explained to him how bad this action is. Until eventually, and the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. Until eventually, that boy, that man, he said, I'm okay. I don't need permission. I'm not going to do this. That is hikmah. And ask Allah for hikmah. Because if we don't have hikmah, be able to put knowledge into practice correctly, properly, at the right time, in the right way, we could really cause damage. Really we could. And many times we do. When we become overzealous, when we become extremely, you know, emotional about certain things. You know, just the other day what happened, my son is in school and every other day he comes and says, this is haram, haram. I'm like, you're turning into haram police. Where did you learn that from? My daughter, of course, little girl, she loves all princesses and everything. Okay, Even though she's never watched anything, but because this is what she sees you know, amongst her friends, this is what she sees wherever she goes. She likes it and she just talks about it. That's it. That's all she can do, poor girl. Right? Anyway, she was saying something and my son said, Princesses are haram. I'm like, where did you learn that from? Who told you that? He's like, because they are shame, shame. And I'm like, okay, I understand. And then I explained to him, you know, that we don't use the word haram for everything. Okay? We can say that yes, they're not dressed properly. But at the same time, you know, we can't say things like that. We have to be careful. I was just thinking, if he were to say that in front of 
you know, people who are not very religiously inclined, they would think, what kind of a mother is she? Right? What is she teaching her children? Don't get me wrong over here, I'm not saying go dress up like those princesses. I'm just making a point here that we need to be careful about labeling things right, left and center, haram, haram, haram. We have to be very, very careful. The Prophet ﷺ did not teach the deen like that. You know, this violent way of practicing the deen or of teaching the deen or of taking the deen to others, this contradicts hikmah. It doesn't invite people to Islam, it turns people away from Islam. So the wives of the Prophet ﷺ are taught over here to pay special attention to what? To what? To the hikmah. To the way in which the Prophet ﷺ is practicing the deen, teaching the deen. Pay special attention to that. Inna Allaha, indeed Allah, kana, He is ever, latifan. He is subtle, He is khabiran, He is acquainted. He is acquainted, aware of all things, even the most hidden secrets, you cannot hide from Him. So in this ayah in particular, what is the emphasis on? Use your time productively. Hmm? You see, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they had the privilege of learning from the Prophet ﷺ round the clock. In the very house. Right? The Sahaba, they could only learn from the Prophet ﷺ when they were in the masjid or when they were outside. And besides, they couldn't come in the house of the Prophet ﷺ. They couldn't be there. You know, the relatives would come, like for example, Umar anhu, Abu Bakr anhu. Right? Abdullah bin Umar. You know, the relatives would come, but every Sahabi couldn't come. Abu Hurairah radiallahu couldn't come like that. Isn't it? So the wives of the Prophet wasallam were told over here that the ilm that you learn directly from the Prophet wasallam in your own house, that is an amana on you. It's a privilege that you're being given. Take this seriously. And take this amana of ilm and hikmah to others also. And we see that the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they became the best muballighat. They became the best muallimat. You know, women who conveyed, women who taught. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them this hukum. And the thing is that many times, you know, women are concerned about their children, for example, learning the Qur'an. I want my son to memorize the Qur'an. I want my daughter to study the Qur'an. I want my son to study fiqh. I want my daughter to study this. Right? Very good. And while we are concerned about teaching our children, we should also be concerned about educating who? Ourselves. Assalamu alaikum. There was a lecture I heard recently. I can't remember which shiikh it was, but he was talking about relationships within the family. And he's like, especially within cultures, it's very popular for them to be like, you know, we must make our sons memorize the Quran. We must make them learn. We must make them do this and this. And the daughter's education is kind of like, okay, she can do it, but it's usually pushed aside. But he's like, for the future of our families, it's better that the daughters are taught because they're going to be future mothers. Who's going to be teaching your children the Qur'an? Who's going to be teaching them the way to practice Islam? It is the mothers. So if anything, the importance should be put on your daughter's education of Islam and the deen because they're going to be teaching your future generations. Yeah, very true. And even otherwise, women's education should not be neglected. You know, recently somebody was asking me about why they were pursuing a particular degree and they had questions about whether they should even pursue it. And I said, of course you should. Because inshallah, one day you'll be a mother and your children should know that their mother is well-educated. Right? They should be able to trust their mother. Because 
a mother who speaks with knowledge, who speaks with confidence, who is trusted by her children, when she will tell her children about Allah, about the Qur'an, about the Prophet ﷺ, they will listen to her. And if they know their mother as a woman who doesn't even know basics of chemistry, of biology, of simple things, then children don't even look up to their parents. I'm not saying that that attitude on the part of children is correct, but I'm just saying that it just so happens to be the case. So in this ayah, it's clear how important it is for women to be educated. For women to be educated, especially with regards to their deen. Go ahead. Yesterday I was thinking about how the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, they shared such intimate details of their lives and that would have taken so much like courage and also like that openness mm-hmm. to totally for like to share that for the sake of Allah so other people can benefit. And I was like, where did that come from? You know, how did they know to share that? And I guess it's from here. And this is the reason. Exactly. I mean, the details that we learn about you know, for example, the correct method of ghusl, for instance, after the state of Janaba, How a person should do ghusl. How the Prophet ﷺ would even sleep, you know, on his right side, with his hand placed under his cheek. The du'as that he would read before going to sleep. His habits when he would wake up in the middle of the night or in the morning. How he would wake up. How he would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These were all very intimate private details which the azwaj mutahharat didn't keep to themselves. They told others. Why? Because this was an amanah on them. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes clear over here. That wadkurna, you must mention it to others. And you see, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, I mean, one could argue, if a woman is married, you know, she's got children, she's got a husband, she's got a house to look after. Why should she do this? Study the Qur'an, study the sunnah. Why do this? Why? Isn't it like putting a burden on a woman? Seriously, because many times women, what do they want? That once they're married, once they have children, then they should have no commitments at all. Isn't it? I'm not saying that the only way of reviewing the Qur'an is that if you're committed to a course or anything like that. The point I'm making here is that After you're married, especially you need to be in touch with the Qur'an. You must be connected with the Qur'an. This is essential for married life. Because married life has its challenges. It has its challenges. It's not like you're living happily ever after. Okay? It's got its pokes and pricks and it's going to hurt you, it's going to annoy you. There's different things that are going to bother you. The person whom you thought you loved, now you, you're doubting yourself, you're doubting the other person, the children, you thought you loved them, what's going on? You just feel like quitting and running away. Every day brings its new set of challenges. So in order to deal with real life challenges, what do you need in your life? The book of Allah. This is essential in married life. Did you want to say something? Quran, so I got, you know, permission from my teacher that I can listen, you know. SubhanAllah, whenever they read one page, you know, on the daily basis. So Your when, children? Yeah, my okay. voice. When they read, I say, oh, SubhanAllah, this is my one of my favorite verse, right? Okay, Mama, do you want me to highlight it on your on your Quran? Yes, please. They say, Wattaqullah. So, Mama, there's so many are highlighted here. So they recite it, right? You know, yeah. oh, Mama likes it. Okay, let's go and recite. When I tell them the meanings also, yeah. so, you know, some of the meanings, some, they also, you know, 
know, they can retain it. Exactly. Because how often does it happen that when you're teaching children, you're telling little children, okay, review your lesson, read your Quran, read the lesson that you're supposed to, they will read and they will say, what does it mean? What does it mean? Right? I remember I saw a child once, a long time ago, he was reading Quran and he was asking his teacher, what does it mean? And the teacher said, don't ask me that, just read. I have witnessed this myself. And that child struggled so much with reading because he wanted to know what it meant. So many times the mother is also asked about what does this mean? What does that mean? So as mothers, we have to instill the love of the book of Allah in the hearts of our children. How can we do that if we don't read Quran ourselves? If we don't understand it ourselves? If we are not passionate about the Quran ourselves? So wadkurna, this is advice for women. Keep connected with the book of Allah, with the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Even if you are single or you're married or you have children or you don't have children, whatever is going on in your life, keep in touch with the book of Allah. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ Indeed the Muslim men, وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ And the Muslim women. المسلمين, plural of, Muslim. Muslimat is the plural of Muslimah. Wal-mu'mineen and the believing men. Wal-mu'minat and the believing women. Mu'mineen plural of Mu'min. Mu'minat is the plural of Mu'minah. First who is mentioned? The Muslim men and women. And then who is mentioned? The Mu'min men and women. Aren't they the same? Muslim, Mu'min, isn't it the same? Hmm? They can be used in the same way, but there is also a slight difference between them, depending on the context that the words are being used in. But basically, if you think about it, Jibreel, when he asked the Prophet ﷺ, what is Islam? How did the Prophet ﷺ explain it? The five pillars of Islam, right? Shahada, Salah, Zakah, Hajj, Fasting, right? So this is Islam. Islam is what? Outward submission. Outward submission, meaning when a person is visibly a Muslim, why? Because he's doing the actions that a Muslim is supposed to do. Because Islam means surrender. So, innal muslimin wal muslimat. Who are the ideal Muslim men and ideal Muslim women? Those who do what Muslims are supposed to do. Muslimin wal muslimat wal mu'minin wal mu'minat. Who are mu'min? Mu'min iman. And what is iman? That you believe in Allah, His messengers, His angels, His books, divine decree, hereafter, right? The six pillars of faith. And where is Iman? It is in the heart. So the Muslim men, Muslim women who are outwardly submitted, and the believing men, believing women who are spiritually committed also. There's Iman in the heart. It's not just outward empty actions, hollow from inside. No. Spiritually committed. They are from within. They're doing it with love, with faith. Walqanitin walqanitat. Qanitin, plural of qanit, qanitat, plural of qanita. From the word qunut, qaf, noon, ta. And what does that mean? To be humbly, devoutly, consistently obedient. So they don't just obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala half-heartedly, whenever they feel like it. No, with humility with consistency, with love and adoration. 
Men and women, both. وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ Sadiqeen, plural of sadiq. Sadiqat, plural of sadiqa. Men who speak the truth and the women who speak the truth. Meaning they're truthful in their speech, truthful in their faith, truthful, honest in their actions. Meaning their actions, their dealings are free from hypocrisy. They show what they really are. They do what they really mean to. They say what is truly in the heart. وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ الصَّابِرِينَ plural of sabir, sabirat plural of sabira. The men who are patient and the women who are patient. When? In difficult times. Because there are difficulties in life. Aren't there? Does life get difficult ever? Are there times when you don't get your breakfast? The breakfast that you wanted? Are there times when you don't get your coffee? Coffee that you wanted? That is a point of sabr. Really it is. That we don't go on fussing about it. I didn't get my coffee. This French toast is half burnt. I can't have this. And fine, I'm going hungry again. That is not sabr. Sabr even at the smallest difficulties. Sabr in difficult times. Then sabr also in obedience. Sabr in obedience? Yes. Because sometimes obedience also becomes difficult. Doesn't it? Like for example, if you're fasting, doesn't the fast eventually feel very long? Don't you feel tired and hungry? Doesn't that require sabr that you keep your fast until you complete it? Sabr in obedience. Then sabr also in refraining from sin. How tempting it is sometimes to do something wrong. But to control yourself over there. So as-sabirin, as-sabirat, who are they? People of endurance. People of commitment. وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ And the men who have khushur and the women who have khushur. خَاشِعِينَ plural of khashir, khashi'at plural of khashi'ah. What is khushur? Humility, submissiveness. So they have khushur in salah. Because khushur, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي Salatihim khashirun. So in salah there is khushur required. But also otherwise, outside of salah also, is humility required? Yes. So those who are not arrogant before Allah, not arrogant before people, al-khashirin, al-khashirat, wal-mutasaddiqina, wal-mutasaddiqat. Plural of mutasaddiq and mutasaddiqah. Mutasaddiq, one who gives sadaqah. So the men who give sadaqah and the women who give sadaqah. They're charitable people. Meaning their money-related habits, part of them is what? That they also spend. They give sadaqah. Sadaqah to who? To those who are needy. To those who are suffering. To those who are hungry. To those who are traveling. In the way of Allah. In different ways. For the sake of Allah. So, they're not selfish, only concerned about themselves, their own needs and their own desires. They're also spending on others. وَالصَّائِمِينَ وَالصَّائِمَاتِ Plural of sa'im and sa'imah. Those who fast, from the word sa'um. Hmm? The men who fast and the women who fast. Which fasts? The fasts that are obligatory first of all. Which ones are they? The fasting in the month of Ramadan. So they fast the obligatory fasts. And whatever gets missed, they complete it later on. Then, also fasting which is recommended. 
Recommended fasts. Like which ones? Hmm? Okay, Monday, Thursday. What else? Fasting of Shawwal. What else? Fasting of Muharram. Hmm? Ashura in particular. So, recommended fasts also. وَالصَّائِمِينَ وَالصَّائِمَاتِ وَالْحَافِظِينَ And the men who guard from hifth. The men who guard. What do they guard? Furujahum, Their private parts. Furuj is a plural of farj. The men who guard their private parts. But also وَالْحَافِظَاتِ And the women who also guard their private parts. From what? From exposing them. Or doing anything haram with them. وَالذَّاكِرِينَ اللَّهَ كَثِيرًا وَالذَّاكِرِينَ And the men who remember, who do dhikr, dhikr of who? Allah of Allah. How much? كَثِيرًا Too much. A lot. The men who do dhikr of Allah, a lot. وَالذَّاكِرَاتِ And also the women who do a lot of dhikr. How often do they remember Allah? Very frequently. Why? Because it is ultimately the dhikr of Allah that feeds the heart. For such people, أَعَدَّ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ Allah has prepared for them مَغْفِرَةً Forgiveness وَأَجْرًا عَظِيمًا And a great reward. Meaning Allah will reward them fully. In this ayah, what do we see? The ideal Muslim men and the ideal Muslim women are described. What are their characteristics? Because we see over here, as the men are described, women are described at the same time. So these are the most prominent, significant features of a Muslim community. This is how Muslim men are like. This is how Muslim women are like. And we all need to check ourselves. That when it comes to these characteristics, how many of these do I find in myself? Which one of these am I lacking in? That I need to work on. Make a list of all of these characteristics. How many are there? Let's count them. Firstly, Muslimin wal Muslimat, Islam. Secondly, Iman. Thirdly, of Qunut. Fourthly, of Sidq. Then, Sabr. Then, Khushur. Then, Sadaqa. Then, Saum. Then, Hifzul Furuj. And then, Dhikr of Allah. How many? Ten. For such people, Allah has prepared for them forgiveness and a great reward. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, Mufarridun have gone ahead. Mufarridun, they've just gotten ahead of everybody. And the Sahaba said, who are they? Ya Rasulullah ﷺ. And he said, they are men and women who remember Allah much. Those are the ones who have excelled. Because every deed, when it is done with the dhikr of Allah, then what happens? It becomes more beautiful. It becomes more beautiful. So these are the characteristics of the ideal Muslim men and ideal Muslim women. There is a narration in which we learn that once some women asked the Prophet ﷺ that many times men are mentioned in the Qur'an. And by the way, when men are mentioned in the Qur'an, it's not just that those verses are exclusively talking about men. Unless there is an evidence that shows that those verses are exclusively about men. When masculine plural is used, it can refer to men as well as women. Alright? But the question was, how come women are not mentioned? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah. To show that when it comes to piety, when it comes to good deeds, then there is equality between men and women. Because every good deed that a man can do, 
Hmm? Like the good deeds that are mentioned over here. Unless it's something that's specific to the role of a man. When it comes to piety in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then there's equality. Then men and women are equal. It's not that men are greater and women are less or the other way around. Go ahead. So generally I was thinking that women usually focus on those two points or two, three points that Allah has given men a priority over women in the worldly sense. But we always forget that in deen there's equality in men and women, right? And we don't focus on that, but we focus on those one or two yes. situations where it's the other way around. Exactly. When it comes to spirituality, when it comes to being a servant of Allah, then no person has preference over the other due to gender, race, age, or anything like that, that preference is with what? With taqwa. Because, إِنَّ أَكْرَمَكُمْ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ أَتْقَاكُمْ So what we should really be concerned about is our relation with who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not that we are competing with other people and we're like, no, I want to be better in this way. I will be better if I do this. No, I will be better if I become a better servant to who? To Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A person's rank is increased by his servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what this ayah reminds us of. I recently had a discussion with my younger brother about, you know, a lot of things. Like, why do people have such, you know, sometimes warped thoughts about Islam and the commandments of Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a lot of the ones, obviously, like the ones that are pertaining to the women, you know, why are they so constantly upset? Why are they targeting them all the time? And the conclusion the two of us came to was that it's because our perspective is towards the world. All of these qualities that we're given, they're also not talking about worldly success. Mm -hmm. They're not talking about qualities that will make you successful in this world. They're talking about qualities that will make you successful in the hereafter. So as long as your focus is the hereafter, all of the commands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given make sense. And even if we don't understand them ourselves, we accept them because we realize that, you know, the focus of this life, this world, is the hereafter. As soon as the world becomes our priority, nothing matters. Like we're, you know, upset about everything. This command makes no sense in this world, in this context, so on and so forth. But as soon as our focus is towards the hereafter, as soon as we prioritize that, everything just falls into place. Exactly. And we see, for example, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, their focus was the hereafter, Darul Akhirah. Right? Then what happened? Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not grant them worldly success also? He did. You know, the Prophet sallallahu he said to his wives that the first of you to meet me, meaning the first of you to die after me, will be the one with the longest hand. Alright? And the wives of the Prophet sallallahu after his death, they would every so often, you know, measure their hand against each other to see whose arm or hand was the biggest or the longest arm. And Zainab radiallahu anha, she was the first one to pass away. And that is when they understood what the Prophet ﷺ meant by long hand. That the one who is the most generous. She was known for her generosity, famous for her generosity. Right? We think, oh, you know what? I can't spend much because you know what? I'm a woman. Because I'm not supposed to work. Who said you cannot work? Who said you cannot make your own money? Who said that with the money that you get, you cannot spend in the way of Allah? Where there is a will, there is a way. Let's listen to the recitation. وَالْكُرْنَ مَا يُتْلَى فِي بُيُوتِكُنَّ مِنْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ وَالْحِكْمَةِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ لَطِيفًا خَبِيرًا 